0: Okay, thank you. Uh, well, the topic uh, for this session is dinosaurs and the Christians. And, uh, you know, who likes dinosaurs, right? I guess the question is, who doesn't like dinosaurs, right? I mean, these animals are so, you know, you go to the museum, you see these skeletons of these magnificent animals. And it's, they're just astounding. Uh, but a lot of Christians have a lot of questions about dinosaurs. Uh, for instance, did dinosaurs evolve from other creatures uh, did they live millions of years ago uh, did they rule the earth where they were the dominant form of life on earth for millions of years um, uh, Were they wiped out by a meteorite impact uh, you know about 66 million years ago uh, which is what we're being told and how do dinosaurs fit into the Bible so what I want to do during this session Is give you two simple rules for making sense of dinosaurs, and and these rules also can help us make sense of really any topic. Uh, We need to learn how to have a biblical worldview, and to think biblically uh, about a given issue. Okay, to base our thinking in every area on what the Bible says. So the first rule is really we're going to just believe the Bible, and the second is we're going to follow the clues. Okay, and we're going to use those two rules. To make sense of dinosaurs. So we're going to the first rule is believe the Bible. So what we're going to do for the time being. Is we're going to ignore what the secular scientists say about dinosaurs. We're just going to ignore that set that aside for the time being. And we're going to start with scripture which is what we really ought to do right. And we're going to see what the Bible says about this topic. And we may be surprised that the Bible says more about dinosaurs than we might have thought. So a good place to begin would be the six days of creation. Uh, By the way, these are six literal days. Uh, There's no clue in scripture anywhere that these are not real days. Uh, So on which day uh, did God make dinosaurs? Now, before we answer that question, we have to be sure we know how to tell whether or not an animal is a dinosaur. So how do you tell if a reptile is a dinosaur? Well, basically, the rule is, if the legs go straight down, it's a dinosaur. Okay, the legs got to go straight down. So I'm gonna, let's see if you're paying attention this morning. Okay, I'm going to show you some pictures of animals. Are these dinosaurs? What about this? This is a swimming reptile called a mosasaur. Is that a dinosaur? No, it's not because it doesn't have legs that go straight down. Now, people often think of it as a dinosaur, but technically it's not a dinosaur. How about this one right here? This is a plesiosaurus swimming aquatic reptile. Is that a dinosaur? No. no. Again, it doesn't have legs that go straight down. Uh, we've also got flying reptiles like pteranodons. Is that a dinosaur? No. no. Now, people will sometimes call them flying dinosaurs, but really they're not. Now, these are all examples of flying and swimming creatures. And according to scripture, God made those flying and swimming creatures on day five of the creation week. Now, dinosaurs, on the other hand, are land animals. So on which day did God make the land animals? Well, what day did he make the land animals? Day six. Right. But whom else did God create on day six? That's right. He created the first man and woman. Adam and Eve on day six of the creation week. So if we start with the Bible right off the bat, we see that people and dinosaurs were on the earth at the same time. There was no age of dinosaurs where dinosaurs ruled the earth. People and dinosaurs were on the earth at the same time. Now, another question you might have is did dinosaurs evolve? Did they come from simpler forms of life? Well, the Bible has something to say about that. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, it says, And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. In fact, that phrase, after its kind or according to its kind, occurs ten times in Genesis chapter 1, almost as if the Lord is making a point. And if you take seriously what Scripture says about animals reproducing after their kind, this rules out evolution. Because in order for evolution to be true, there have to be at least some times when animals don't reproduce after their kind. right? Because you have to have fish turning into amphibians, turning into reptiles, turning into birds. You have to have basic kinds of animals transitioning or morphing into totally different kinds of animals. And in order for that to happen, they have to, at least part of the time, not reproduce after their kind. So if we take Scripture seriously, it rules out evolution. And the science confirms this. There is no evidence that dinosaurs evolved from simpler forms of life. Now, lest you just think that's a creationist talking uh, this is Dr. David Wessheimple, and he was the lead editor on a really famous encyclopedia of dinosaurs. And this is what he said He said, From my reading of the fossil record of dinosaurs, and the fossils are the remains of these dinosaurs that we have, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. No direct ancestors have been discovered for any dinosaur species. Alas, my list of dinosaurian ancestors is an empty one. So there's, he's got no evidence that dinosaurs evolved from other creatures. Here's another scientist from the University of Chicago. His name's Paul Sereno, and he says, Early on again, I think researchers and even maybe lay people really felt that we had more ancestors in the fossil record than we actually do. We don't have a lot of ancestors. We have a lot of twigs. So dinosaurs did not evolve and by the way we don't have any evidence that any other creatures evolved either Well, while we're on the topic uh, they didn't evolve into birds either okay they they, they're this is a mania that secular scientists seem to have they want to convince everybody that dinosaurs evolved into birds and they've actually gotten fooled by at least one major hoax because they wanted to believe this so badly Uh, but there's no good evidence for this there's huge anatomical problems with trying to turn a reptile into a bird Uh, and so they didn't evolve now another question that maybe we might have about dinosaurs is what did dinosaurs eat especially before Adam sinned well in Genesis chapter 1 verse 25 God says also to every beast of the earth to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So that means that when God made the animals, they were originally plant eaters. They were vegetarians, okay? Even this guy right here, okay? He started out as a plant eater. Now, some people say, well, what about those sharp teeth? Yes, he did have sharp teeth, but that doesn't necessarily mean he started out as a meat eater. You know, imagine you're one of these guys, and you want to eat a watermelon, and you don't have a steak knife with you. How are you going to get into that watermelon? And even if you had a steak knife, his arms are so tiny he's not really going to be able to use it. So pretty much the teeth are the only way he's going to get into a watermelon or another one of uh, one of these melon like fruits. Now, by the way, this illustrates for us just how badly we messed up when we disobeyed God. Uh, we really blew it when we disobeyed God. You know, you younger people here, kids, even adults. Do you realize that if Adam had not sinned, you could have had a pet dinosaur? No joke. You really could have had a pet dinosaur. So we really messed up when we disobeyed God. Okay, there are always consequences for sin. And, uh, you know, we've missed out on some of the good things that God had for us because we disobeyed, disobeyed his rules. So, again, we've got these two simple rules for making sense of dinosaurs. We believe the Bible. We're also going to follow the clues. So we're going to we're going to think logically about dinosaurs and see if there's some other things we can figure out about them. Uh, How do we even know dinosaurs existed in the first place? Well, one of the ways that we know is because we have their remains, what we call fossils. And these these fossils, you find them all over the world. And uh, these are, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. These are the remains of dead animals. Now, normally, when an animal dies, okay, it normally doesn't turn into a fossil, right? Um, You know, when an animal dies on the side of the road, it doesn't turn into a fossil. It just decays or is eaten by scavengers, you know? And so I'm going to show you this right before lunch. Okay, those are some dinosaurs that have died, and they're rotting, and you've got flies swarming around them. Okay, they don't turn into fossils, right? They don't do that. OK, so that seems to suggest there had to have been unusual conditions to to turn these these dinosaur bodies uh, basically into to mineral. Uh, so what does the Bible say about death? OK, these are dead animals. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. OK, so. The scriptures clearly teach that death entered the world because of man's sin. Now, some people will say, well, this is just human death. Maybe there was animal death before Adam sinned. Uh, We don't think so. Uh, Remember, God said when he finished his creation, everything he had made was very good. That doesn't jive with death and suffering. In fact, remember, the animals started out as plant eaters. Uh, That that doesn't really fit with a um, a death and suffering either. You know, if you're if there's if there's no death, why would uh, you know, why would they just be plant eaters? Uh, In Romans chapter eight, uh, we're told. It says for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So this scripture tells us that God imposed this futility, this vanity, uh, this groaning on the creation. And so when would be the obvious time, you know, the original creation was very good. When would this happen? Well, it's obvious this happened at Adam's sin. Okay, that's the whole tenor we get from scripture, is that death and suffering entered the world because of Adam's sin. Now, where do we find dinosaur fossils? Well, they are found in rocks. And these are special kinds of rocks that they call sedimentary rocks. Okay, now sedimentary rocks, even evolutionists will admit, nearly all of them are water deposited. Now, they will try to tell you that some of them were deposited under very tranquil conditions. We think they're wrong. We think there's good evidence that they were laid down by moving water. Okay, and of course, that that would mean if you've got billions of fossils all over the world and they're entombed in these water deposited rocks, you've got some kind of watery catastrophe. So is there an event in the Bible? Okay, let's not think too hard about this. But is there an event in the Bible that involves a whole lot of water that could maybe explain the fossils? Yeah, it's the flood. The Genesis flood is the key to explaining this. And so we're arguing that when we see these dinosaur fossils, you are looking at the remains of creatures that perished during the Genesis flood. Okay, they didn't live millions of years ago. Uh, These are creatures from the flood. These are creatures that were alive on the day that Noah and his family went on the ark. Interestingly enough, the land and dinosaur fossils are often mixed together. In fact, uh, Dallas, Texas used to be underwater. And in Dallas, Texas, not too far from Dallas, you find these mosasaur skeletons of these 45-foot-long marine creatures. I mean, these are almost the length of a school bus. You know, what are they doing in Dallas, Texas? You find them in Kansas as well. You find them in Europe, far inland, far from the oceans. Well, the flood, the flood is the key to explaining that. By the way, dinosaur fossils are often found with fossils of marine creatures. The marine and land animals are mixed together, which is exactly what you would expect from the flood. Now, that seems to make sense, but one of the things the evolutionists will argue, uh, they will say, well, now look, Mr. Creationist, there's this nice orderly sequence in the fossil record. You start out with very simple, primitive organisms, and they evolve, and they become more complicated over time. And as you go higher in the rocks, creatures become more and more complicated until eventually you have people. Now, there is a trend in the fossils. Okay? You do find the marine creatures tend to be at the bottom. You, you first see those at the bottom, and you don't really start seeing land animals until later. Okay, so there is a trend, but I'm going to argue this trend is not nearly as nice and tidy as the evolutionists would make it out to be. Now, this is a reproduction of what they call the geologic timescale, and it's from a geology textbook that I used in graduate school, and it's from 1997, and and these numbers you see on that chart, those are in millions of years. These are the ages that they've assigned to these different geologic periods. Okay? And uh, the numbers have changed a little bit since then, but not too much. Now, Actually, I believe this this arrow is pointing to the wrong one. I'm sorry. That arrow should be pointing to the Jurassic. Okay, my fault there. But the, the, the Jurassic period uh, is supposedly when the first birds and mammals appeared. Uh, and, and that would be around 208 to 144 million years ago. And they would claim that the first dinosaurs were in the Triassic period between 245 and 208 million years ago. Now, what I want to do now is I want to read you a quote that appeared in the Smithsonian Magazine back in 1992. Now, this was an article about an amateur fossil hunter named McDonald. Uh, I think his name was George McDonald, but anyway, the article is about him. And even though he was an amateur, he did pretty good work, and the Smithsonian thought this was worth writing up about him. Well, in this article, they are describing footprints that they found in what they call Permian Rock. Okay, now, if you look on that chart, the Permian is between 286 and 245 million years. Now, that means that we're looking at rocks and tracks that should be older than the very first dinosaurs. Okay, so this is way back many, many millions of years ago. So this is what the article says. The fossil tracks that McDonald has concluded include a number of what paleontologists, those are scientists, who study fossils, like to call Problematica. Oh, that sounds interesting. It sounds like there's something here that bothers them. Okay. On one trackway, for example, a three-toed creature apparently took a few steps, then disappeared as though it took off and flew. We don't know of any three-toed animals in the Permian, MacDonald points out, and there aren't supposed to be any birds. He's got several tracks where creatures appear to be walking on their hind legs, others that look almost simian or ape-like. On one pair of siltstone tablets, I notice some unusually large, deep, and scary-looking footprints, each with five arched toe marks like nails. I comment that they look just like bear tracks. Yeah, McDonald says reluctantly, they sure do. Mammals evolved long after the Permian period, scientists agree, yet these tracks are clearly Permian. You see the problem here? Okay, they're claiming the first birds and mammals appeared in the Jurassic, the first dinosaurs in the Triassic. And if you take these tracks at face value, you've got birds, apes, and bears walking around even before the first dinosaurs. Now, I don't know how much you know about all the nuances of evolutionary theory, but that is a big no-no. To have those creatures walking along before the dinosaurs, because they aren't supposed to have evolved until millions of years later. So there is a trend in the fossils, okay? And we think the trend is because uh, different areas were being flooded uh, sequentially. Uh, you had the marine creatures buried first, and then those waters went further up on land. But even though there's a trend, it's not quite as nice and tidy as the evolutionists like to make it out to be. And so we think we can we can explain the trend, but we can also explain the exceptions. Now, God told Noah to take representatives of all the air breathing land dwelling animals on the ark. So are dinosaurs air breathers? Do they breathe air? Yes. Or do they dwell on land? Yes. So if we really believe what the Bible says, we have to conclude Noah took dinosaurs on the ark. There were dinosaurs on the ark. Now, was the Ark big enough for that? Absolutely. It was humongous. Uh, That's a scientific term. It was humongous. Uh, The Bible says it was 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. It's got three decks. Depending on how long the cubit is, it would mean the Ark would be at least 450 feet long. If you use a longer cubit, it could be closer to 500 feet long. So this is an enormous vessel. There's plenty of storage space. And... We think Noah did not have to take that many dinosaurs. Uh, we, th- we estimate there's about 50 to 60 Genesis kinds of dinosaurs. So Noah would only have to take about 100 to 120 dinosaurs on the ark. We think the typical size of a dinosaur was about that of a buffalo or a bison. And remember, he's, he's probably going to take small ones on the younger ones because remember, the whole point of taking these animals on the ark is so that they will have lots of babies after the flood and refill the earth. So you want to have young dinosaurs, and they're not going to be as big. So that's going to help save on the space as well. Now, to give you a feel for how big Noah's Ark is, this is a picture of a model of Noah's Ark uh, that we have at the Institute for Creation Research. It was made by Mr. Ernie Carrasco, who, who works there at ICR. And to give you a feel for the scale, there's a railroad boxcar. Now, the scale's not perfect, but it's pretty close. So if you want an idea of how big the ark is compared to a railroad boxcar, there you have it. Okay, so there's plenty of room on the ark for the dinosaurs as well as the other animals. And uh, people have done detailed calculations, and even if you took a worst-case scenario, let's say Noah had to take about 16,000 animals on the ark, um, there's still plenty of room. But we think he probably didn't need to take nearly that many. Uh, probably just a few thousand or so, maybe more. But there's plenty of room on the ark. Now, if we think about this logically, this may seem really obvious, but if Noah took dinosaurs on the ark, well, the dinosaurs had to get off the ark, right? So that means there would have been dinosaurs that survived the flood, and they would have lived in that post-flood world. So it's quite possible that people could have encountered dinosaurs after the flood. And so they may have described them. They may have encountered them. Now, evolutionists will tell you dogmatically no one ever saw a living dinosaur. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but some evolutionists get really upset when we suggest that people and dinosaurs were on the earth at the same time. They get really mad. And I think the reason for that is because they know that dinosaurs for many people are symbolic of millions of years. So if their story about dinosaurs is wrong, their worldview collapses. So is there evidence in Scripture of dinosaurs? Now, the word dinosaur will not appear in the Bible because the word dinosaur was not coined until 1841, and the King James Version of the Bible was written in 1611. So you're not going to see the word dinosaur per se, But it's quite possible you might see dinosaurs described by different names. And we think there's many cases of this in Scripture. And in Job chapter 40, the Bible talks about the behemoth. And I'm going to argue that this is a dinosaur, probably a sauropod dinosaur. You know, the ones that have the long necks and long tails. And God himself is describing this animal to Job. And he says, look now at the behemoth which i made along with you he eats grass like an ox now there's two interesting things about this first god says that he made the behemoth along with man and it's almost as if god in his foreknowledge realizes there's going to come a time when people are going to claim no one ever saw a living dinosaur and he is refuting that he's saying that's not correct also it says he eats grass like an ox now Evolutionists for many years said that dinosaurs could not possibly eat grasses because grasses did not evolve until millions of years after the dinosaurs went extinct. Now, we know now that that was wrong. And you know how we know that? Well, we got fossilized dinosaur poop. And guess what? There's grass in that fossilized dinosaur poop. Okay, so we know they ate grass. And of course, that's exactly what scripture is saying. I want to show you some images of these sauropod dinosaurs and keep this in the back of your mind as we continue to read uh, the description of this behemoth. Uh, the Lord says, See now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. And I mean, you look, that is a very muscular, powerful animal. He moves his tail like a cedar. Now what is a cedar? It's a tree. Okay, so he's comparing this animal's tail to a tree. And it says the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. Now, so this is obviously a big muscular animal. What's really interesting about this is I I don't know of any other animal whose tail can reasonably be compared to a tree. And what we now know about some of the dinosaurs is that when they would walk, their tails would sway back and forth to help them balance. And so they were literally swaying like a tree, just as described in this passage of scripture. Uh, We read his bones are like beams of bronze, his ribs like bars of iron. If you go to the museum and you see these big dinosaur bones of these sauropod dinosaurs, that is a very good description. And then God says he is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him, that is God, can bring near his sword. And so, uh, so it's a big, powerful animal. It's the first of the ways of God. And even though it's so powerful, though, it, you read some more, it says that it's a vegetarian. Well, it doesn't, yeah, it does, it does say that it eats grass, and it says that other animals play nearby. So even though it's this big, mighty animal, they're apparently not scared of it, because apparently it's a vegetarian, just like these sauropod dinosaurs. So I would argue that the behemoth here is a sauropod dinosaur. And there's other passages of scripture that talk about um, great reptiles. Okay? Again, this is not a dinosaur per se, but the Bible talks about a sea monster called Leviathan. And there's a very detailed description in Job chapter 41, but it's also mentioned other places in scripture, and the Bible actually says this is a fire-breathing monster. It breathes fire. Now, we're not sure exactly what it is. Some people think it could be this animal right here, the Mosasaur. Others think maybe the Leviathan was a super crocodile, what they call the Sarcosuchus imperator. Uh, Dr. Tim Clary at ICR thinks it was a Spinosaurus because that was a swimming dinosaur. But whatever it is, it was clearly some kind of monstrous dragon-like animal. In fact, the word dragon or dragons appears more than 20 times in the King James version of the Bible. And it's not just the King James. It's the older Bible translations. They translate that word as dragon. Now, a lot of the newer translations will translate it as jackal. Now, I will freely admit I don't know a lick of Hebrew. Uh, But, uh, you know, the supposedly the words are kind of similar looking. So that's kind of the justification for claiming that it's a jackal. But if you really take seriously what the text is saying, that can't really be right. And one example of this is in Jeremiah, chapter 51, verse 34, where Jeremiah is talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. Well, you know, that just doesn't sound like a uh, a jackal, okay? But it does sound like this guy, okay? So I think the one on the right is a far better candidate for a dragon uh, than a jackal. Uh, Furthermore, the Bible talks about flying serpents in two places in Isaiah. And uh, we don't we know that there were flying serpents now interestingly enough the newer translations kind of chicken out they render it as darting serpents not flying serpents now again I don't know any Hebrew I'm not going to pretend to be a Hebrew scholar but I have looked up that word in the concordance and sure enough when it's used in other places in the Old Testament it has connotations of flight okay now were there flying serpents yeah. There were, we've got their fossils, but they didn't live millions of years ago, like the evolutionists are telling us. Uh, You may find this interesting. A lot of creationists think that the fish that swallowed Jonah was actually a sea serpent. Uh, The Hebrew word, uh, from what I'm told, is generic enough that it can refer to fish or whales or whatever. But when the Lord Jesus is talking about this incident in Matthew, he uses a specific greek word that uh to the greeks uh i believe it's the word ketos it meant a specific kind of animal it meant a dog-headed sea monster okay not a fish not a whale but a sea monster now what's interesting is if you look at there are mosaics that early christians have done of jonah being swallowed by the fish and, the, and they don't depict a whale. They don't depict a fish. They depict a dog-headed or horse-headed sea monster. Okay, so it may very well be that the great fish that God prepared to swallow Jonah was actually some kind of sea monster or dragon. Uh, in Micah chapter 1, verse 8, uh, it may actually give us a clue as to the sounds that dinosaurs made because Micah says, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owl. So it could be that these dragons had made a kind of mourning sound. In fact, if you look up that word dragon that is translated in Hebrew, that's basically the, where it's coming from. This idea of wailing or moaning. So the scriptures could actually be giving us a clue about the sounds that these animals made. Now, uh, the Bible is the only inerrant historical document we have. Uh, but we've got secular historians, too. They talk about uh, these dragons. They're all over the place. Uh, those of you who are young and uh, middle school, uh, before you in high school, you will probably have to read a poem called Beowulf. Let me just give you a hint. When you read that poem, you need to be thinking dinosaurs in the back of your mind, okay? Uh, dinosaurs and dragons in the back of your mind, okay? I'll just say that. Uh, historians have talked about these creatures, uh, And there's, of course, we have these dragon stories from all over the world. And we would argue that these are recollections of dinosaurs. In some cases, they've been distorted, uh, but these are coming from dinosaurs. If if you'd like to read a little bit more about this, there's a great book called After the Flood. It's written by Dr. Bill Cooper. And it's really an early history of the European peoples after the flood. And, And he claims that he has actually traced the ancestries of some of these European peoples all the way back to Noah through his son Japheth. He did a lot of digging, looking up all these historical records. But he also has three chapters dealing with dragons and dinosaurs and how these ancient European peoples encountered them and wrote about them. Now, not only, though, did they uh, write about them, they drew pictures of them. And I want to show you just a few examples. There are dozens and dozens of examples out there but here's one. Uh, this is from a temple in Cambodia that's about 1,000 years old. What, what does that look like to you all? Stegosaurus. Yeah, not just a dinosaur, but a particular kind of dinosaur. And look, that's what it looks like to me. So I, you know, this, this temple is only around 1,000 years old. So how did people draw that if no one had ever seen a living stegosaurus? Uh, this one is from a cathedral in the United Kingdom Uh, it's about 500 years old and there's a Bishop who's buried in that in that cathedral and there's a brass engraving around it and this here is part of that brass engraving and you can see these two muscular animals that have long necks long tails and four legs going straight down that kind of sounds like sauropod dinosaurs. Now, admittedly, you can't see the heads very well because people have been walking on it for 500 years. But uh, it really does look like dinosaurs. Here's another example. Uh, this is a Mesopotamian cylinder seal, and I think it's, it's housed actually in the Louvre in Paris. But they would take these seals and roll them out on clay and make impressions on them. And, of course, you can see here, you've got these two long-necked, muscular animals with long legs Legs that go down. Looks, looks, looks. To me, that looks like a sauropod dinosaur. And I'm not even sure what these things up there are. Those might be flying reptiles of some kind. Uh, by the way, one, one thing that's very interesting, if you look into this, these dragons that they depict routinely have their necks intertwined. You see that all over the place. And it may be that they did this actually in life. We're actually seeing... A, a recollection of their animal behavior they would actually inter, it could be that they intertwine their necks uh, maybe it was some kind of mating ritual or something but you see this all over the place they routinely have the necks intertwined in these uh, drawings that they do. Uh, so we've got strong historical evidence that these creatures live recently but we've also got scientific evidence that they live recently you know we've talked a little bit about radiocarbon dating uh, and you know there's different varieties of the carbon atom. One of them is called carbon-14, or radiocarbon, and we've got a little bit of radiocarbon in us, and it turns back into nitrogen, but it does so fairly quickly. It has what you call a half-life of about uh, 5,700 years, and it decays away so rapidly that the best instruments on the planet should not be able to detect any radiocarbon in something that's more than 100,000 years old. Well, guess what? We find radiocarbon, when we bother to look for it, in dinosaur bones. Uh, Dinosaur bones that are supposed to be tens of millions of years old, even hundreds of millions of years old. So that is another argument that these dinosaurs did not live millions of years ago. Now remember, that 100,000 years, that's a maximum age. Okay, could the true age be just 6,000 years? Yes. Okay, so we're not saying these are 100,000 years old. We're saying that's the upper limit. They can't possibly be older than that. We've also talked a little bit about the original biological tissue that we find in dinosaur bones. Uh, the, the first recent discovery that got all the attention was a, a, some tissue found in the T. rex femur by Dr. Mary Schweitzer. And what I want to do now is I want to show you a video clip of a profile of Dr. Schweitzer on the TV show 60 Minutes. And you have Leslie Stahl describing her discovery and interviewing her and her advisor, a, a famous scientist named Jack Horner. So let's, let's go ahead and watch this little clip. Some fragments of the bone in acid
1: to dissolve away the outermost layer of minerals. But the acid worked too fast and all the mineral dissolved away being a fossil there should have been nothing left but there was and it was elastic like living tissue this is the oh. piece No. she showed us video she took under the microscope that's really what happened yes that's the dinosaur yeah. bone without mineral now that's what was left it looked like the soft tissue she would've expected to find if it had been modern bone. This was impossible. This bone was 68 million years old. So you see this, <laughs> and you think, what? You I say didn't you want say to tell that. anybody. <laughs> that you'd be ridiculed, yes. right? And so I, I said to my technician, okay, do it again. I don't believe it. And yet, in sample after sample, they were there. Things that look suspiciously like flexible, transparent blood vessels. She finally mustered the courage to tell Jack. She said she dissolved the bone away and there were blood vessels. And, you know, I was like shocked. How could that be? How could that be? That's right. The things Mary was finding inside dinosaur bones. (laughs) Look at that. Blood vessels, and even what seemed to be intact cells, pose a radical challenge to the existing rules of science that organic material can't possibly survive even a million years, let alone 68 million. Mary, Jack, and their team published
0: the a- Okay. So you see, this is a problem if you believe in millions of years. These biological materials should not be able to survive for millions of years. And yet we find them in these dinosaur bones. And it's not a, it's not a fluke either. You can, you we're finding more and more examples of this. I think by now there's over a hundred secular papers that talk about biological materials in these fossil specimens that are supposed to be very, very old. Uh, so, of course, you know, they, the one thing they're not willing to question is the millions of years. Okay, they're willing to question their own lab results, but they're not willing to question millions of years. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but when she was talking to Jack Horner, And she says, how can that be? And he goes, how can that be? Did you notice he looked a little uncomfortable? You know why that is, right? He was worried that one of those crazy creationists was going to grab that video, put it in a PowerPoint presentation and go around showing people that dinosaurs just lived thousands of years ago and not millions of years ago. And he was right, because that's exactly what we are doing. Okay, so these creatures lived recently. We've got both Strong historical and scientific evidence that they lived in the recent past. Now, you may be wondering, well, what happened to them? Well, uh, after the flood, there was an ice age. Okay? And by the way, we do have some resources about the ice age at that tab- about, at the table out front. And we think uh, that as long as you stayed away from the ice sheets, it probably wasn't too bad. It was probably very temperate in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of the dinosaurs probably lived there. But at the end of the ice age, the climate got harsher. Uh, you, you know, we've, pro- we've got a lot of deserts now. That made it harder for them to survive. There were probably fewer places where they could live. But we think uh, a lot of them were just killed off by humans. You know, when you move into a new place, you don't, don't want dinosaurs eating your kids, right? So you've got to do something about the dinosaurs. Um, but we have good reasons to believe that some of these dinosaurs survived until the Middle Ages and even later. And I don't think they went all extinct at once. I think it was kind of a gradual thing or that they were hanging on in different places um, throughout history. Uh, so it looks like they're extinct. Uh, of course, you hear these rumors, you know, from Africa and Papua New Guinea that people claim to have seen dinosaurs alive recently. Uh, wouldn't that be something if some of them were still out there? Uh, that'd be pretty spectacular. <laughs> and maybe, maybe when the Lord comes back, maybe... Maybe you might still get to have a pet dinosaur if you're one of the Lord Jesus' children. Uh, so, you know, you can dare to hope for that if you're a Christian. Uh, so I hope this little talk has been a blessing to you. We've got a nice little book called Guide to Dinosaurs. It's got a lot of nice illustrations. It covers the, this material to explain dinosaurs from a biblical perspective. And we also have two really neat books for children on dinosaurs. Uh, dinosaurs, God's Mysterious Creatures and Big Plans for Henry. Uh, which is for really young kids, uh, but it, it helps explain dinosaurs biblically. Uh, we've got a Guide to Animals book, and yes, there is a section in dinosaurs on there. Uh, we've got our Guide to Creation Basics, Creation Basics and Beyond, which also talk about dinosaurs. Uh, they've got really nice illustrations, and the, cre- guide, the Creation Basics and Beyond is a little more in-depth. Uh, it's more of like a handbook. Uh, if you want ammo to refute uh, the secular claims we it's not a technical book, but we've got references to the secular literature if you want that to help you uh, make your argument Uh, we've also got a really neat DVD series unfortunately we have already sold out of these Uh, but I got to show you the promo because it's just so cool okay so even though we're sold out I'm going to show you that promo Um, here we go here's our here's our promo for uncovering the truth about dinosaurs Topic to really innovate people with evolutionary thinking you would assume that canyon required many years to form but instead it was formed in a single day
1: whoa what have we got here it seems to describe what the bible is talking about it talks about a global deluge. part of this evolutionary story
0: asserts that dinosaurs evolved into birds
1: We are not the product of evolution and we have not been here for millions of years. The discovery of soft tissues and dinosaur fossils sparked a revolution in paleontology. But there are indications in the fossils that this story doesn't add up. This is a great bit of evidence that points towards a young Earth that these fossils are not millions of years old, but were buried only a few thousands of years ago. We see these flood sediments pushed way up into these mountains. Tremendous upheaval was going on in the Earth. This is bigger than an asteroid. There's a consistent pattern of the water moving across continents, (coughs) thousand feet or more above present sea level. We can use the truth about dinosaurs to show people that the Bible really is true from the very beginning. What happened to them? Did they slowly go extinct? Or was it something sudden, something global, cataclysmic? Can science answer these questions? Can the Bible unravel this mystery? Uncovering the truth
0: about yeah. dinosaurs so uh, even though we don't have those here today we've ran out uh you can still get these at our website icr.org i gotta tell you when I, you see those dinosaurs walking through the floodwaters that's just that that to me that's the high point right there that is just really spectacular uh, also, I'm sure you've heard, we are building a Discovery Center for Science and Earth History. And uh, we've got some really cool stuff. We have a planetarium that has 3D capability. We also have a, a T Rex, an animatronic T Rex, life size, and maybe a little bit bigger than life size. I think they may have exaggerated <laughs> the height just a little bit. But it is made by the same people who make the dinosaurs at Universal Studios. And I showed, I showed, I had video on my phone and I showed my two-year-old nephew and he couldn't make up his mind whether he was thrilled or terrified. So <laughs> it's pretty cool looking. It's really cool looking. And so if you haven't uh, signed up for our magazine, Acts and Facts, please do so. Uh, it's paid for by our donors. It's a gift to you. And we answer those tough questions about creation versus evolution. So uh, that's all I've got. I think we've got maybe 15 minutes, 14 minutes or so. Does anybody have any questions? Okay. But how did they survive the flood? Okay, on the ark. That's it. Well, they they would need you would need about 120. We think we think there were about 50 to 60 Genesis kinds of dinosaurs. So he only would have had to have taken about 120. And we're not sure about the exact number of other animals on the ark, But remember, it's just the air-breathing land-dwelling animals. And so we think in a worst-case scenario, If you assume that the Genesis kind is what they call the genus taxonomic level, he would need to take 16,000 animals on the ark. There's still plenty of room. We think in most cases, though, the the Genesis kind is probably at the family taxonomic level. So that's going to whittle that down number. So we could be looking at maybe a few thousand animals, something like that. So in any case, there's plenty of room on the ark. So it's not really an issue. But yes, for them to survive, they had to be on the ark. Because if they're out if they're outside the ark, that's it. Yeah. It, okay. Yes. Uh, you know, we think that before the flood, some of them had already started to eat meat. Because uh, the reason for that is that we find some dinosaur bones that have T-Rex teeth marks in them. But they're not, they're not recent. They, they've had quite a bit of time to heal. Okay, So obviously during the flood, they're going to be desperate. The animals are going to eat whatever they can. But these wounds appear to be older than that. So it looks like some of them had already started to eat meat even before the flood. And the Bible talks about how the earth was filled with violence. And that may refer to some of what the dinosaurs were doing as well, not just humans. So we think there's a, even though they weren't supposed to, we think there's a chance they started eating meat before the flood. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yes, uh huh. Well, he didn't. God brought them to Noah, so he didn't have to. He didn't have to round them up. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Okay. Okay. Uh, we think the ice age began right after the Genesis flood. The Genesis flood was about forty-five hundred years ago. So we think the Ice Age was another seven hundred years. That's our best estimate. So we're looking at, you know, uh seven hundred years after the flood. It it was started right after it and ended about seven hundred years later. Yeah. But when you said that, you know, even humans killing them, that makes sense because you look at what we're doing to the animals we have now. They're going extinct. Right. And they won't even be very ancient. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh A little over a year. It's about 371 days is what the scripture says. So what, you know, there was 40 days and nights of really torrential rain, but it was the flood didn't stop. I mean, it was still going on. Uh, in fact, we think the high point of the flood was 150 days. And by that time, everything, every air dwelling or air breathing land dwelling animal outside the earth was dead by that point. By the 150th. Hundred fiftieth day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. We think that was during the flood. We think we think there was a supercontinent, and that it split apart during the flood. Now, uh, it, but it's not a slow, gradual continental drift like they told you in school. It was rapid. And one of the world's leading experts in this area is a guy named Dr. John Baumgarner. And he is a young Earth creationist. And he has done cutting edge research on this. And we've got some of his papers on our website. But uh, I mean, very sophisticated computer modeling of all that. Yes? So, you know how said, like, after the survived? Mm hmm. Oh, I think it just depends. I think we have good reason to think some of them were alive even in the Middle Ages, maybe even later. Uh, so uh, it's just um, I don't think that I, I think uh, it just depends on where they were. Like Alexander the Great, when he and his men were India, they claimed that they were his men were terrified by a big dragon in a cave in India. OK, so what what's that like a 300 B.C., something like that? Uh so there's they're all over the place. They're all over history. So we there's good reason to think they survive for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, uh-huh. Dinosaurs are more intelligent than other animals cuz that's how they're kind of in the Uh I I kind of doubt it. Uh I think part of that is because they are again wanting to argue that they evolved into birds. Uh I don't well the intelligence may not be an issue, but in the movie Jurassic park i don 't know if there's a scene at, toward the end of the movie where there's a velociraptor, and of course, the size is greatly exaggerated, but he breathes and you get this mist of this fog on this window, okay meaning it was warm uh, it was warm blooded because they're trying to get you to think warm blooded it evolved into birds, okay, and so we think they probably weren't warm blooded they were cold blooded uh, but but you know there's all these little air things where they try to make them seem to fit the evolutionary story a little bit better like the whole feathered dinosaur thing so i i kind of doubt they were necessarily more small i mean I, I don't have any reason to think that um you know we, we don't have that much to go on yeah well some of them were really small yeah yeah uh so you know i don't know i don't know We're in Dallas, Texas, Discovery Center. yes, that's right that's that's where it is, yes. Yeah. So we're hoping to open it in September. That's what we're shooting for. Yes. We may not make that deadline, but that's what we're shooting for. Uh, I didn't say that <laughs> uh, but we hope you'll come, yes. right. Not that I'm aware of, okay? But that doesn't necessarily, you know, even evolutionists will admit that. Well, let me, let me see if I can come up with an example. There are creatures that evolutionists believe were on the earth at the same time, but they have not been found together as fossils, okay? So that doesn't necessarily disprove the biblical account. Right, right. No, they, I'm pretty sure they didn't. We think a lot of the dinosaurs may have been swamp dwellers. Uh, but uh, you know, this is a question we get a lot. Have we, do, have we found dinosaur bones together with human uh, bones, and why don't we find more human remains in the sediments? Now, that's sort of a complicated answer, and there may be more one-point aspect to this, but we think people were pretty resourceful, and they were probably able to hang on for quite some time as the waters were increasing. So they may have gone to higher elevations and then got killed. Well, we know there was a huge amount of erosion at the end of the flood, where in some cases thousands of feet of sediment were planed off as the waters receded off the continents. So if you had people that were up there that were buried in those higher sediments, they would, it would have been obliterated. Okay? So you wouldn't find remains of them there. Um, but on the other hand, you've got this issue of evolutionists aren't looking for them. And even if they did find something like that, are they going to tell anybody? Now, there have been reports of artifacts that look like they're man-made in places they weren't supposed to be. Uh, even reports of skeletons, human skeletons, okay? But these are kind of controversial even among creationists. And, you know, it, it's, I don't, we, we want to be careful to use the best arguments, okay? But at the same time, I think it's good for you to be aware of this because it may not be an airtight argument, but it's not like it's nothing either. I don't want to make it sound like there's zero evidence of the human pre-flood civilization. Okay? There is. It's just stuff that we're not sure we can make a slam dunk argument for. Okay? But there have been reports of human artifacts, maybe even a human. There's one skeleton in particular that I'm thinking of that there was a claim that it was a human remains in flood sediments. But there was a big controversy among creationists back in the early 90s about that. So we don't have anything at this point that we're ready to just, but there is stuff like that out there. Okay, you hear these rumors. In fact, in the 1800s, it was fairly common for this kind of thing to be reported. But after Darwin came along and after you know, the, the uh, evolutionary timeline became more dogmatic, you don't see as much of that going on. Well, I don't. I don't know. If there, there was a report of a hammer. That's. I'm not sure how well supported that is, but I do know there was a report of a bell, uh, a chain uh, that was found supposedly in coal, um, things like that that look like they could be from the pre-flood world. Uh, but again, we don't make a bigger deal out of it because, you know, we it's it's possible. You know, and I think I think some of them are from the flood, but I just I don't think I can prove it. So that, that's the thing. It could have been very big. I mean, they had 1,650 years, 1,656 years. I mean, they, they could have very well been a large population. There's there's no reason you, you have to assume that it was a small population. Exactly. I mean, how many kids could you have if you lived to be 900 years old? You know? Yes, yes. Oh, yes, the we, God cursed the earth. well, w- yes, but, but they probably, they probably, well, he cursed the earth itself. Okay. And that's interesting because some creationists think that's when radioactivity started, that God actually started radioactivity in the earth's interior, but people were protected from it because it was still deep inside the earth's crust. And then people, a lot of people think, and I think there's something to this, uh, I think this is right, that. Before the flood, there was an accelerated burst of nuclear decay. And the heat from that may very well be what God used to start the flood. Okay. But the curse is specifically on the earth. that talks about the thorns and thistles. Probably what happened was, you know, animals got killed or died. And some of them just started scavenging and developing a taste for meat. So it's probably a gradual thing. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, it's our pleasure. We are delighted to do that. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, great question. Okay, for a long time, there was a very popular idea among creationists that the ferment was a vapor canopy on top of the Earth's atmosphere. And the thinking was, well, that could provide some of the water for the flood. It might have increased the atmospheric pressure. Maybe that helps explain why people live to be 900 years old. I was a big fan of that for a long time, but I am now convinced it can't be right. For biblical reasons, the main reason is it says that God separated the waters below the firmament from the waters above the firmament. Now, if you believe it was a vapor canopy, you have to say that the firmament was Earth's atmosphere. Okay, because the firm the water vapor sitting on top of it. The problem is the Bible explicitly says that the stars are in the firmament. Okay. So it's got to be, it's got to be talking about space. So most creationists now think that God actually put a shell of water way out in space beyond the farthest galaxies. Okay, and that's what most people, I think that's right. I think that's the correct explanation. Now, how did people live to be 900 years old? We think a lot of it was genetics. Because um, there are places in, in Earth history where you have what you call genetic bottlenecks, where there's a small population and they start interbreeding. One of those is the flood. And if you look at the ages of the patriarchs, there is a dramatic drop in lifespan after the flood. Okay, people were living to be 900 years old. After that, they dropped down to maybe 500 or 400 years old. There's another place where it drops again, and that's for Peleg. Now, there's some controversy among creationists. You know, Peleg, it talks about his name meaning division, the earth being divided. There's differences of opinion among creationists. Is that referring to the Tower of Babel, or is that referring to division by water, maybe because of some of the stuff going on during the Ice Age? Uh, I'm I'm not sure I want to be dogmatic about that, but I could easily believe that Peleg lived a little bit after or at the time of the Tower of Babel because his lifespan drops too. So you got 900, then it drops to like 400 or 500, then it drops again to 200. And so if you have that interbreeding, you're going to see more effects of harmful mutations. And so that that may very well be a big hunk of the explanation right there. You know, we're just we, we think a 70 year lifespan is normal because we've gotten used to it. But it's really not. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yes. OK. Uh huh. Right. The was, uh, yes. You know, by the of yes, the yes. I think there might be. This is something we're looking into. I, uh, in fact, we're, we really need to nail that down. There's differences of opinion among creationists because if you read that passage, you could argue that it's only referring to part of the creation week. Before God creates Adam, before personally to me, I that's I don't I have a problem with that, because in my mind, why would you even mention it? You know, three or four days without rain. Who cares? You know, we go weeks in Texas without rain, you know, so it's why would you even mention it? So I think maybe there could be it could be true that there wasn't rain in the pre-flood world. But it's got to be something other than a vapor canopy. And uh, we're not sure. I mean, this is something we really need to work on. Uh, But there's a difference of opinion among creationists about that. But I'm open to the possibility that now how it would work, I don't know. I mean, that could be a major research project. But um, that's something we need to really look into.